0: Hey, welcome to Conversations in the Round. I'm here with uh, Chris Kelly, Adam Heath, Justin Bradshaw. And um, we're going to do something a little bit different this week because a lot of you are going through the rooted study. Are you guys laughing because I'm yelling already? (laughs) (laughs) Or is there other reasons you're laughing at me? Okay, Um, We're going to do something a little bit different this week um, and front load a little bit of a sermonette for lack of a better way to put it, so that those of you that are preparing for the Rooted Study, which this week is uh, chapter eight uh, with regard to money, you can kind of capture the content of this thing and, and move on with your preparation and come back to the conversation if you so choose later. So I'm gonna kind of work through some content here, maybe 10, 12 minutes, could go a little bit longer if these guys feel like chiming in, which I've invited them to do for sure as I go through this. We'll take a little break, which will be nothing for you, but we'll just stop for a second and then, and then we'll re-engage and we'll get back into conversation altogether. Okay, so this week we're talking about money, which is a difficult subject to do in church. Uh, in fact, if I talked about money as much as Jesus did, we wouldn't have much of a church <laughs> because it would be way too much for most people's liking, that's for sure. But he talked about it a lot. And, and here's the reason. Um, money has the capacity to steal our attention away from God, I I think it's safe to say more than any other thing on earth. Um, And Jesus said straight up, you can't serve two, what is it called? Two masters, masters, two masters. And he uses those, he uses himself. It's like God, you can't serve God. And mammon, which is... um, I don't know. It's almost like a mythological character that represents money. So you can't serve God and money. And he brings that up because it is a tremendous threat for the human race to serve money. I want to start by answering this question. Why is it such a threat? Why is it, why is it such a challenge for us um, to substitute money in for God? You've probably heard this statement, money isn't the root of all evil. The love of money is at the root of all evil. But what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean that the love of money is at the root of all evil? Um, if you love money, what do you love? You got to answer that question. And it's kind of philosophical. So, so hang with me a little bit here. Like what is money? Here's a, defin- here's a standard definition of what money is. It's a, it's a token, it's a, a representation, it's a, it's, a, it's a thing that functions as a socially, legally accepted medium of exchange in payment for goods and services or in settlement of debt, right? So money is just a thing that serves as a go-between, an in-between, an intermediary tool that allows us to avoid you know, just straight up bartering or trading now, that's what you used to do when there was no medium. I had something you needed, you had something I needed, and we tried to find some way of equating the value of those things, and we would trade. Now we have an intermediary tool, it's called money. Money has value, then, in an economy, in a particular economy, and it can be exchanged for other things. Are you still with me? This is the basic use of money, right? I want that, so I give you this amount, there's a price, and you give it to me, right? Um, so, here's the thing, though. Therefore, within a particular economy, if you have money, by association, you have value, right? You have value, or you have, you could go as far as to say you have significance. You have the capacity to engage that economy. It's it's not like, unlike a game of Monopoly. You can't be in the game if you don't have any money. And if you run out of money, you're out of the game. But if if you have money, you have the capacity to not just be in the game, but to be a vibrant part of the game. And you can win the game. You can't do that without money. Life is that way. Money gives us a sense of value. That value is not only personal, but it's practical. Having money is also the ability or the power to acquire what you need or what you want. So money gives you value. It also gives you power. So in a manner of speaking, you can say this. this is the, Why is money such a threat? To steal our devotion from God. Because money gives a person value and power. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Having money makes you feel significant. And it makes you feel like you can control your life, right? Yeah. Think If you sit down and think about this, you can actually look in the spaces of life where you've used money to be significant or to appear significant or to seem valuable. And you've used money to control your life, to make it easier, to make work easier, to make home life easier, to, get your, to give yourself more time, right? You, this is what we use it for and it feels great. You can begin to realize then when you think about how money gives you value or power, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. Um, how am I doing on time guys, is this? Six minutes. Six yes. minutes, okay. Recognizing money as a societal means for acquiring value and power within a particular economy, begins to explain the holistic crushing of a person and the debilitating effect of poverty. Think about this. If money gives you value and power, the poor, those that are impoverished, those that are socioeconomically um, in the lower echelons, they don't just not have a way of exchanging for goods and services. In that society, in that system, they lack value and they lack power. So those that we might, that, that have wealth or have money, we tend to judge a person who's hungry, but they have a pair of tennis shoes that are associated with somebody popular or rich. Or they're going hungry, but they have a cell phone so that they can use an app or a social media platform to use their voice and feel powerful. We look down our nose on the impoverished when they do things that gain them value and power because that's what's lacking most when you don't have it. The reason that money is a threat to our devotion to God is because it is, a, in many ways, an easy way to have power and value. So if we recognize that money is the means for value and power, within a society and economy, it's the first step to understanding why loving money is antithetical to loving God. That a passionate pursuit of money prohibits a passionate pursuit of God. Because we know this, even really at the most rudimentary understanding of God, we know that our value is supposed to solely come from him. And that we're not to consolidate and or exercise power in human relationships, but we're supposed to follow Jesus' example and lay down our power and trust and set in the power of God. So when we're looking to money for value and power, we are not looking to God. Um, any thoughts this thus far? I'm gonna read a couple verses and then
1: wrap it up, but anything? You've, uh, you've, in a really short amount of time, you've touched on a lot of, big concepts in relation to money. Um, and, w- and we'll get into those yeah, things good. a bit. Kind of unpacking what is money. That's great. That's great. So you're set,
0: Chris is facilitating the discussion when we come back. And so I'm glad to hear that. that that's what we want to do. We want to scratch the surface of the primary things with this little sermonette and then uncover it all later and dig it out. Anything from you, Adam, yet at this point?
2: Well, maybe nothing that I wouldn't also use later in the conversation, but okay, yeah, I think that the way you're setting it up about identity is, right. um, is striking at the heart of maybe some of the challenges I've faced personally. And yeah. I think in a sense, globally, you could say like, yeah, this is just a matter of allegiance. Mm-hmm. Where is your allegiance lie? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Good. the temptation is to allow your allegiance to stray away from Jesus yeah. to yeah. something lesser, but more immediate, more yeah. tactile. Yeah. And money is maybe chief among those things. Yeah,
0: I think so.
3: Yeah, I think <clears throat> the love of money can sometimes feel elusive. But uh, when we love our value and our power that we have, we're like, oh, that's not a love of money. But yeah, uh, yeah. it's a little bit more tangible to see, oh, I'm not quite as uh, well off
0: uh, spiritually <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh,
3: as I think I am.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I appreciate that. I wanted to emphasize that point that you pulled out right there. That when, when I asked this question, why do we love money? And what does it mean that we love money? It's really that we love value mm-hmm. and we love power. That's what we love. We don't really love so when I say love, I mean money is the root of it. I would say no, loving value and power is at the root of all evil. If you want to define evil as, you know, not pursuing God. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the sum total of it. So, so listen to a couple verses. <clears throat> uh, in Matthew chapter six, kind of the middle section of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus says this, so when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets like hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done will reward you. You, There's a lot of conversation there about value, right? And he's saying, hey, look, when you're giving to the needy, don't make a big deal out of it, because what are you doing when you're making a big deal out of your giving? you're saying, look how significant I am, look at how valuable I am, and look at how powerful I am. <laughs> and, and you get, said, so don't, don't let the left hand see what the right hand is doing. This is what I always imagine in my mind is that somebody's giving away money really kind of you know, exorbitantly with their right hand. And then the left hand, some really important person's giving them a high five. You know, mm-hmm. That's what's happening. They're being rewarded for what they're doing. And God's saying, look, that, that's not the way to go about it. And he's just very clearly demonstrating how we use money to get significance, to get value, to get control. A little bit later in, the, in that same chapter, chapter six in Matthew, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where they don't destroy and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Our devotion is always gonna be tied up with what we treasure. And when we treasure the value and the purpose and the significance and the control and the power that this world gives us, that's where, um, that's where our heart will be. That's where our devotion will be. That's where our allegiances will be, to use Adam's word, right? <clears throat> and this starts to explain why Jesus says, Greed is so deadly. Because at its core, greed isn't just a lust for money. It's a lust for value and power apart from God. And that's my last point and try to wrap this up. Greed is uniquely dangerous. In the middle of chapter six, this is what we read. Between those two examples of the the, um, hypocrite giving his money, in a, in an in, you know, in a, in a ex, exorbitant way or storing up the wrong treasures. <clears throat> it says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This is a hard verse to understand and it doesn't even make sense that it's at its face why it's in the middle of all this stuff about money. <clears throat> this is what that means. If a room is full of light, your body can move about in that room and not trip over things and bang into things and it can see what's in that room. If your eyes aren't working, then no matter how much light is in that room, you're in the dark. If you can't see, then you are completely in the dark and you don't know how to navigate life or do whatever. And Jesus ties this same use of the word light and eyes together with greed in Luke 12, 11 and 12. He says, look, this is about this. And here's the, here's the thing. This is the thing I want you to hear about this. In addition to the fact that we really lust for value and power is to realize what Jesus is saying here is that materialism, money, possessions, greed, they have a blinding effect. It may be one of the most dangerous of the seven deadly sins because we don't see it. We are blind to our greed. I've been a pastor for 25 years. I've used this illustration before. I've sat with people, friends, co-pastors, um, congregants, whatever, we've sat and we've talked about how sin impacts our life. We talk about purity and we talk about um, all sorts of different ways that we sin. Nobody ever, ever has ever come into my office and said, pastor, I've got a problem, I, I want too much. I'm greedy. No one, no one does that. That's the nature of greed. That's the nature of greed. If you're sitting here thinking, or you're listening, or you're doing the study and rooted, and you're thinking to yourself, "I really don't have a tr- I don't really have a problem with greed," you're in big trouble. That's the nature of greed. Is that we have fallen asleep on it. All you got to do is look at your work, look at your job, look at why you take certain jobs, look at why you don't speak up when your company or your business is, is unethical or uh, doing the disservice to your own city. Uh, look at your own lifestyle, why you bought this, why you bought that. Uh, no one ever wants to sit down and look at their whole budget and, and, and figure out who's at the center of most of that, ex- that spending. No one wants to do it. We don't even ask the questions. Greed and money issues just make us, uh, we're we're just blind to it. So Jesus finishes with this. No one can serve two masters. Either you're gonna hate the one or love the other. You'll be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In summary, this is what we're saying. We really, really long for value and purpose and significance and power. And money is an easy way to get that. And what makes this super dangerous is that we are, Greedy, we do lust for those things and we don't know it, which means what? We are actually insidiously devoted not to God. There is a serious, serious threat to our spirituality, to our Christianity, to our relationship with God that money does, and we by and large don't know it. So we got to dig into it. That's what we're going to do. So we're going to take a little break. Uh, We'll be right back and we'll get a conversation going. All right, welcome back. Um, We're going to engage the conversation now. Thanks for rejoining us if you stepped away. Um, Talking about money, I'm turning it over to Chris. He's going to facilitate discussion. Let's do it. All
1: right. Um, So I'm going to start differently than I'd originally thought because um, I I hope you were paying close attention to what Pastor Mike was saying. He touched on a lot of um, very deep and profound things that, that maybe through the course of our lives, we, we just, uh, we don't, like you were saying, we don't stop to think about it. Yeah. Um, but I think what would be good for us to do is to further unpack what is mammon. Okay. Um, and to maybe even reframe how we describe what mammon is. And, and the reason that I think it's probably good to do that and you used a word uh, towards the end of, of your message, insidious. Mm-hmm. Um, some other words that came to mind is, is like the combination of things that are both subtle and nefarious, if I could use an <laughs> equally cool word. And that really is the nature of mammon in the course of our lives. And um, what's really interesting about scripture is when, when God is paying so much attention to something, that's a cue for us to take note of that, right? Mm-hmm. And then, to further personify something that is otherwise just a thing, like it's inanimate, right? We were talking about money, mm-hmm. and it has no personality, no mind, right. no heartbeat, and yet it's personified in, in scripture, yeah, and this concept of mammon that 's unpacked further. so it's not yeah. just about money, mm-hmm. and you said that um, all of us are engaged with this tension, mm-hmm. all of us have some some space in our lives where we're blind to the effects, and maybe the, the, the struggle between belief and disbelief between God and this, let's say, false God, yeah mammon, if we yeah. could frame it that way. Yeah, so much of our lives um, are, at, at the core of our
0: life is identity. Mm-hmm. At the core of our life is identity. And we're built to get our identity from, some, from God. So there's this setup where we get our identity from um, I don't know what you call it, like a greater being or a greater purpose. So yeah, we or make
2: something ultimate. Yeah. We're going
0: to make something mm-hmm. ultimate and we're relational. Works. So it's going to be a relational thing. And our identity comes from what makes us feel valuable and powerful, like we said. And so it is personal. It's personal. We're, we're going to look to not money, but the king of money or a personification of the king of money, which I would say is mammon. That would be, that would be how I describe it.
2: Yeah. Personification is kind of an interesting way of thinking about it because I think you could actually expand that, get a wider angle and start to think like, oh, isn't that the human tendency with all things? You think about like the Greek gods and goddesses and you think like, okay, here we personified wisdom and we said like, okay, Athena, she's got that. Yeah. And there's this tendency for some people to say, I'm, I'm worshiping that, I want everyone to think. I'm, I have what it takes intellectually. Mm-hmm. They worship Athena. Or you look at Bacchus and Dionysus the Roman and Greek version mm-hmm. of the god of wine. It's like, well, do you know anybody who maybe is worshiping wine? Like, this is my, mm-hmm. this is my salvation tonight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got some weight I'm mm-hmm. carrying around with me tonight. Mm-hmm. This is going to save mm-hmm. me. And we personify all kinds of things. You just think through the Greek gods and goddesses, and we think, oh yeah, mm-hmm. those are just, those are just things that people made ultimate, and they mm-hmm. gave them a name. Mm-hmm. So, Mammon makes perfect sense in that context. That mm-hmm. this is something that people make ultimate. Maybe it's the most Likely thing for someone to make ultimate, and they and it has a name. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: yeah. I think uh, well, the origins of the word mammon aren't really really solidly known, and so it often gets translated as wealth or money, and that that's totally acceptable. What, another layer to that is um, that one of the origins of the word is means from acquisition. And So mm-hmm. if if you're if you think about serving two masters and one of them being God, who's the provider of all things, but the other one is trying to acquire everything. Mm, yeah. That's a, you, you, you can't have both, right? Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's the point. You can't have both. Mm-hmm. You can't be serving both because either you're, you have to acquire everything because you need to, mm-hmm. to take care of yourself and provide for yourself or you trust God to provide for
2: you. Mm-hmm. Everything. Yeah. And yeah. That, that has echoes of the original lie, doesn't it? Yeah. You think about what the serpent is whispering into the ears of Adam and right. Eve. It's you can have the things of God without God. You yeah. can yeah. be God. You can have all the attributes of God and provide for yourself. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, and, and maybe a subtle twist to it is God really doesn't want what's ultimately good for you anyway. Yeah. He's not going to take care of you. You're going to have to take care of yourself. Yeah. I think that fits in with what yeah. you're saying about yeah. me right there. I think
0: it's even helpful to personify the God of money. Mm -hmm. Like, I I don't know, it's humanly helpful for me to think, okay, I'm making a decision about the kind of car I'm gonna buy or the the size of house I'm gonna buy or how much I'm gonna spend on a pair of jeans. And I know it just sounds weird, but it's like, I'm gonna pray about those things. God's given Mm -hmm. me the resources that I have. They're his, I'm his steward. I'm gonna use these in a certain way. And it's actually instructive for me to sit and think, praying to God about how to use it. And I'm also aware of this other king, this other mammon Mm -hmm. who's saying to me, I'd spend just a little more on that. If you do that, if you go that way, you're gonna sort of stack up a little bit better. To think about somebody actually trying to convince me to spend my money in an ungodly way is actually helpful for me in the process (laughs) of of decision-making because I think I'm not listening to that guy. But that whole blindness thing makes it seem like I'm either following God or oh, I must be just following God because there's no other, ah, that's yeah. the part that's blind. You put a, you put a face right. and a personification to it that's trying to convince you to do otherwise. It kind of just highlights my decision-making
1: really. I think it's a, that's a really interesting way to frame it. Um, it I mean, there's, there's so much about the, the Christian life, uh, if I could describe it this way, that exists on a spectrum. You know, there's some fuzziness about it. Mm -hmm. It's something that's kind of progressively unraveled through the course of your life. But this topic is so abrupt. I mean, God is so clear. You either serve me Mm
2: -hmm. or
1: you're serving everyone. You can't can't Mm -hmm. have fuzzy. Mm -hmm. That's how important this topic is. And you mentioned um, identity. Uh, God, we know that God is uniquely the only person that is in a position to declare over us who we are. He's our creator. He's the one who knit us together in the wombs of our mothers and wrote the story of our lives and all those things. And so he's declaring to us, this is your identity. This is what's true. And so it's interesting if you have this personified false God, mm-hmm. just like the lie of the garden, what God says is not true. And it's about your heart. You talked a lot about mm-hmm. the heart. Your heart isn't this. Your heart is is that. And mm-hmm. that's the voice of Mammon, mm-hmm. right? And that's why it's so, mm-hmm. it's so dangerous. Um, during the course of my life, it, it was really helpful to be, actually begin to sort through, okay, here's something I think is true, and I'm realizing that here's something I thought was true, but it's actually a lie. And everybody's struggling with these things. You even alluded to something, you know, personal struggles in the space, and we're all in that space. So lest anybody think they're somehow above it, that blindness you referred mm-hmm. to. If you were to categorize or name or list some of the lies that either you struggle with mm. or you're aware of other people struggling with in relation to this false God, the false identity that this God mm-hmm. is trying to declare of your life. What, what are some of those things? What are some mm-hmm. of those lies?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And P.S., this would be a great thing for people who are watching to leave in the comment section as well.
1: Right, right. <laughs> yeah, good one. You mentioned dignity self-worth, power, control, uh, value, our position in society and culture, our options, choices. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's at the core of those things that people pursue? Why, did, why what are the lies? You know, what's the root that leads to this behavioral fruit, if I could put it this way? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I believe I have control because, mm-hmm. is that making sense what mm-hmm. I'm asking? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I think it's value
0: I, for mm-hmm. me. Um, I've I've joked, but it's not much of a joke, actually. That one of my love languages is cash. <laughs> <laughs> and, I appreciate that. And huh? it's because <laughs> I, it's because I think. Look, if I'm doing a good job, don't I don't really want you to say, "Hey, you're doing a good job." I just want you to give me a raise, you know? <laughs> <clears throat> because in this society, the raise and the and the income is Uh, that's a lie. That means you're doing a good job. It actually does mean that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It actually does mean It's pretty rare that you get a raise when you're doing a bad job. So there is something really inside of our economy that says when I do a good job, which again, goes on a whole nother rabbit trail to the beauty of the value we get from God not being performance-based. So the lie for me in that context is performance is my performance is where I get my value? I've I've stopped saying it now because it's it's too I'm too far down the pike. But early in ministry, I thought all the time I thought, oh man, I should have just went to the corporate world for five or six years mm. and got saw money <laughs> and then done ministry. And you know, like, oh, I was like, I could have. You know, and and I think I might have even ministry doesn't necessarily give you nor should it give you significance. Mm-hmm. And so there was even a part of me that thought I, you know for there were a lot of times where I think, man, I'd feel so much more significant if I'd have gone the corporate route. So for me the lie is performance and significance and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it comes from the reward of money.
2: And I think it could be <clears throat> even sort of like you talked about on that spectrum where we might dress it up a little bit and baptize it a little bit by saying, no, it's really just, I I just want to know that God approves. And I think that's a really sure sign that he must approve if he's Mm -hmm. materially blessing me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the paradigm you see God working against and specifically Jesus in his ministry working against. He said, you can't associate your material you know, affluence with my approval. You can't, you can't, you can't look at the poor and say, oh, they must not have God's approval. And you can't look at the rich and say that they, that they do. But I think we're sort of like these children are looking for ways to say, you know, does my daddy approve or not? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we might take shortcuts when we're little. And I think we still take shortcuts when we're adults. Mm -hmm. And then one of the shortcuts is to say like the money thing, Mm -hmm. that's my shortcut to knowing I have approval. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's all of these people's approval,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, but uh, we might baptize and dress it up and say it's mm-hmm. ultimately God's approval of my life that He blessed me this way mm-hmm. materially.
1: Mm-hmm. Let me let me ask you this: What you just described in my mind is counter gospel. It's not the gospel. It's a
2: lower G gospel, like Paul says in Galatians one. That's right.
0: So you didn't so, these guys didn't answer the question. I had to answer the question about yeah. lies in my life and these let, guys just, just let went us off theoretical.
1: Mike, come on do need to perform. Okay. <laughs> that. That's pretty How, good. Well, we'll come back to that. Touché. We'll make sure that you have your opportunities <laughs> to answer things. I think Adam just stepped into a space that's extremely important. Um, some might call it the, the counterfeit gospel, the prosperity gospel. Right. Um, whether we want to admit it or not, uh, we're all in that space to some extent or another. It's like, if I'm receiving whatever it is I think that makes me feel safe or have options or security, you know, whatever, then God must must love me. He must affirm, he must accept, whatever. But if I fall on hard times, then woe is me. I, 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 I'm, I'm wrong with God. To me, what you're saying is, if that's your mindset, you're forgetting the gospel. Yeah. And so, I mean, if someone were to bring that to you, if you were to experience that, if you're going to hear that out of your own heart, How would you preach the gospel in that space? What would you say?
2: Well, I think you're right to recognize that there are lots of competing gospels, um, which Paul says very clearly in Galatians 1 aren't really gospels at all. They're not actually good news. Um, And so the one maybe dealing with money is you might sort of have this series of thoughts where you say like, my greatest problem is I don't have enough money. Maybe it starts very innocently to get my kids the education I want them to have or uh, the car that's going to keep my wife safe or whatever and so you see that as the problem and you end up saying okay if that's the problem then here's my solution clearly money would be the solution which leads me to a sense of okay this is what flourishing looks like all is well when the bank account looks this way and the car is that year old or not that year old Mm -hmm. and the kids got the right School, you know, pedigree and everything, uh, and you could maybe say there's all kinds of ways where we misidentify what the real problem is. Well, what's the real problem that that is the umbrella, the overarching thing? It's separation from God. Separation from God, and so why do we have this identity problem? We are separated from God. Uh, the the the, the, the thing that we need most is his presence. And he saw fits to make that happen for us and fully restore us through, through Jesus. And so we say, wait, okay, if Jesus is the solution to my biggest issues, my gaping hole, my need for the presence of God, then I should probably listen to him too. He probably might know what he's talking about. <laughs> like if I'm gonna trust him for like salvation and stuff, mm-hmm. I should probably trust him for you know how to live my life. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he started to realize, wait, he's teaching about money a lot, and he seems to be telling me over and over again that money's not what I think it is. If I trust him, I'm gonna to have to trust him on that too, mm-hmm. and so I, I think if I was gonna preach the gospel with somebody or, or speak with them about it, I might ask them about, you know, what do you think is the biggest, what's the root of all of this? Why, why do you and I both feel like we're scrambling all the time? Tell me, tell me your story about this, this feeling that you walk around with all the time and where do you think it comes from? And then maybe have the opportunity to share my story where I think it actually comes from mm-hmm. and where I think the story leads us, where I think the end point of the story is mm-hmm. that ultimately it ends with a loving God who has held us fast in his hands and is intending to restore us and we don't need to scramble anymore.
1: So uh, what about you guys? What are, the, uh, what are the lies that you've heard or you even currently hear? And um, tell me how the gospel speaks to those lies uh, in your own mind or in the conversations you've had with others. Everybody's looking over here. Yeah, I, no, I, think already all, I already talked about
0: <laughs> lies. Yeah, <it's> <laughs> all
3: right. yeah. Well, I think uh, for me, it... Um, as, you, as you've been talking, like, okay, how do, I, how do I narrow it down to just one line? <laughs> yeah. mm. um, I think it centers around, uh, it's kind of like a cousin of value mm-hmm. uh, or an offshoot of value. It's like, am I enough? Am I enough to be mm-hmm. accepted by this group of people? Or it's a good word. do I fit here? And the thing about asking yourself that question and then believing that you're not enough is that enough is a bottomless pit. You can chase enough all day long and not be enough. It's um, a God you can never appease, right? Right. Right. And so uh, even even as you were kind of giving some examples, like doing the buying the right thing or, or providing for enough of this or enough of that. Like I get like even anxious as you were talking about it because I'm mm. like mm. Because it's been so real uh, for a lot of my life where I've been like, I don't, I'm not enough. And even, even as I've gone through life and, and had different experiences, I get to this place and be like, and I'm like, well, I, I didn't get here on purpose. So does that make me enough even right now and mm-hmm. here? Mm-hmm. Or can I convince you that I'm enough if I, if I have this thing or... My car looks a certain way or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I would say the the enough lie is, has been a mm-hmm. significant one. It is a significant one mm-hmm. uh, in general, but it's been significant in my life. And I think the gospel speaks to that because uh, yeah, the answer is you're never going to be enough, right? right. You're never going to be able to earn your way back to God. He's done all the work to make me enough.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And he does over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so he... In, in the midst of that speaks the truth of what he has done and his great love for me to convince me that being his son is enough
0: mm-hmm. i don't, i don't know if this is uh, <coughs> excuse me a lie i 'll describe what what 's on my mind, and you can tell me what how to categorize it but the um, the mistake I think people make if they become a Christian or within the Christian um, life is that the value and the purpose and the significance that God gives will make you feel valuable and significant and purposeful in the eyes of the world.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Like the, the mistake or the lie mm-hmm. is that the value you get from God, the significance you get from from him, the the identity you get from Christ will make you feel in this world, in the eyes of others, valuable. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. I think the Christian life is an ability to live with two things. One, where my value is eternally with God, and this unfortunate, really almost sad reality that in this lifetime, in the eyes of the world, and how I, we, how I view myself with the standards of this world will be lacking. Mm-hmm. We think that, we, that somehow God's gonna get rid of this, this one and, he, and it doesn't.
3: Yeah, and in the eyes of the world, uh, some of the ways that we treat money, the ways we live our lives as followers of Jesus are even considered foolish.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say you're potentially serving the wrong God if by the standards of this world, you feel valuable and significant <laughs> yeah. and powerful. Right. That's mm-hmm. a dangerous place to be as if the world, look, this is a, it's a big problem we have with, uh, uh, what do you call them? Like um, popular Christian figures. Mm. They have found a way to actually be favorable and valuable in the eyes of the world. And that seems like a good thing. Mm-hmm. But if you're getting your significance from it, mm-hmm. yeah, man, you're, you're missing it. The, the sad truth is that a Christian life of value and significance doesn't save you from the feelings that you had that may have driven you to Christianity in the first <laughs> place, that may have driven you to Christ. Those things don't really get fixed in this lifetime. Mm. If you've got them fixed, you
1: might have a problem. This is probably a a good spot to begin to transition to talking about generosity. Um, uh, Folks, as you're going through the rooted study, uh, you'll notice uh, during the week eight content, there's some very, very practical uh, tips in there. And um, you definitely want to pay attention to those things. It's really good information that's in the study. Uh, But don't let the, the dialogue begin and end just there either with the community that you're traveling through this study with, or maybe even more importantly, the posture of your heart uh, before the Lord. Because as you're hearing from the teaching team here, there is far more behind this issue of money and wealth and abundance and mammon than just these tips and tricks. Um, The motivations behind it deeply inform how you actually leverage the practical nature of of the rooted study. So I just, I want to encourage you to keep that in mind. Uh, So we've talked about mammon, we've talked about lies, we've talked about counterfeit gospel. Um, Now let's talk about generosity. Uh, We've already established that this issue isn't just about money specifically. It's really about a posture of our hearts, our identity, a worldview that flows out of this, and then how you actually live out the course of your life. So keeping that much broader and deeper context in mind how would you define generosity it's not just i'm going to give but somebody some money it's a far broader far deeper issue and and i would say our responsibility as people who are in christ right mm-hmm. so how yeah. would you, how would throw some words at uh, generosity how mm-hmm. how might you define it mm-hmm.
2: i think i might define it as god's vision for human flourishing like I have to recalibrate over and over again, like what I think the good life really looks like, uh, and <clears throat> often the, the 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 mission creep here is I'm being told all the time that the good life looks like what I'm receiving. The counter voice to that is I think the voice of God saying, No, the good life looks like what you're giving away. What is it that you're giving? So that you're coming into alignment with what I always intended for you to be living in a community like I always dreamed you would live in a community and obeying, you know, me in close relationship with me like I always dreamed we would have. Mm-hmm. And that is what flourishing looks like it's this obedient, um, uh, albeit, obedient responsiveness to God's vision for my life. Mm-hmm. And I have to remember over and over that it's, it's a real reversal of what is being sold to me as human flourishing. What I collect is not flourishing. What I am blessed to be able to give away is a far cry closer to flourishing. Mm-hmm. It's just a re...
0: You're, you're restating Proverbs 11. Um, a generous man will prosper. Yeah. Right?
2: Yeah, you could you could do a lot sticking around Proverbs. There's another proverb that says, "Lord, give me enough that I don't have to steal, mm-hmm. but don't give me so much that I forget about you." Yeah, and you know I can see it in my own life. Our our own normal tendencies to say like, "Oh, I'm not like, there's no, I'm not redlining right now. There's no fire to put out," and so my spiritual life wanes. Yeah, I can see it culturally um, in the United States. As abundance has, you know, continued to escalate, there is a forgetfulness that comes right along with it. I could even say that you could see it sociologically. Um, I don't want to put anybody in a in a particular box or put them in like a a narrow definition, but I would say, for instance, um, you could see uh, like. Um, People in, in Cambodia, I know and love, very, very receptive to the truth of the gospel when financially insecure. Mm. But the second largest Cambodian city in the world is Long Beach, California. And mm. all of a sudden, mm. the receptivity to the gospel mm. wanes mm. because the their understanding of their plight while financially insecure was much more... Uh, immediate, And then they made it to California. Everyone's dream, making it to California, <laughs> get out West, right? And they made it and they thought, okay, well, I guess I don't really have those needs I thought I had before. Mm. I don't think I answered your question anymore. I think I just <laughs> I've, got,
1: I've got three
0: answers to it, so maybe I can cover it. Keep going, it. yeah. yeah. I, I think three things when I think of generosity. The first one is that... Biblical generosity, the generosity of God, Christian generosity, is um, eye popping. Like hmm. we think of generosity as charity, hmm. a por- the portion that we give. Biblical generosity is like eye popping giving. It's like it. It's like what is that? Because God is. This is the word good. You might know this a little better than I. You don't really do. The, the, good, the good has two interpretations. When, it, when the Bible says that God is good, it can easily mean God is generous. Mm. There's, a, there's a dual meaning there. Um, oftentimes, um, that, that's the case. And we think about generosity from God's point of view and the ultimate generosity with regard to his son revolved a, involved a cross. It involved a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So generosity, you, you have to talk about like how much, Do we have to give to be generous? You know, there's a biblical, an Old Testament biblical model that says you give ten percent. Well, for most people, giving ten percent would be sacrificial. It's really a low bar in the Bible. It's Old Testament. It's like, it's like to me, it's like, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt give ten percent. Those are like the low bars. They absolutely don't murder. We shouldn't steal. And we obviously give 10%. But then we would go beyond that. God calls us, Jesus calls us much higher than that. Craig Grishel says, using the statistic that most church-going Christian people give about the average is like 2.5%. They don't give 10. They give 2.5%. And Craig's teaching is, I'm not trying to get people to three and four and five, ideally. I'm trying to get people to think about what they're doing with the other Mm 975 because we tend to give and then go, that's God's and this is mine. (laughs) And generosity says, generosity says, no, your giving should be sacrificial. So 10%, if going to 10% impacts your lifestyle, impacts the way you live, then it's good. Mm -hmm. For someone who's given 10%, you would go more. It's a sacrificial yeah. generosity.
1: Yeah. Let's hold on to that question of how much, yeah. and the sacrificial nature of yeah. generosity. We're going to take a really quick break and then we'll be right back. Okay. So uh, Mike, you had posed the, the question of how much. Mm-hmm. And, and right after that, you really talked about the sacrificial nature mm-hmm. of generosity. Um, and, and what came to mind is oftentimes when we think about generosity, we're thinking about people who are kind of far away from us. Maybe they're in a different uh, context, different country, uh, different economic strata, you know, however you think about it. But generosity isn't something that necessarily has to leave here and go over there, though there's plenty of opportunities for generosity there. What about our neighbor, the mm-hmm. person literally, physically right next to us, mm-hmm. whether it's where you work, where you play, where you live? how do you practice generosity? Uh, and my mind always goes to, how do you practice generosity with, the, with that person that uh, doesn't quite take out their trash on time? Mm-hmm. Or they've got that sign in their yard. Or, you know what, they talk a lot, and I really just like to cut my grass. You know, I'm, I'm trying to make it super <laughs> practical, the stuff that we encounter on an everyday basis. But a lot of these people that, that I believe God has appointed us to reach, you know, we're, we're there on purpose and not everybody around us knows our God. So how do we practice his generosity and bring about the flourishing that Adam uh, talked about, this glimpse of the kingdom that could be and that we could have together? How do, you, how do you actually do that? What's it look like in your life?
2: Well, I think we need to hear from Justin on this one. Well, <laughs> really good. I was just
1: gonna say, so nice. all
3: of those things that you said aren't warnings to your new neighbors that you like to cut your grass.
1: It's so <laughs> <Please>. purely hypothetical, <laughs> yeah. okay?
3: Uh, and this would, be, this would be a good thing. i uh, would love to know how you have experienced uh, generosity. You can put that in the comments. We'd love to hear those little things, those very practical things that uh, may, w- maybe were big deals to you, but would have been uh, small generosity from somebody else. Um, those are always fun to hear.
2: What was your question? I want to hear about your neighborhood.
3: Right. My neighborhood. Yes, I want to please. hear about your problems with your neighbors. <laughs> problems with my neighbors. Yeah, I think... Um, one of the things about generosity, particularly with your neighbors, is uh, if you uh, allow yourself to stop thinking of your stuff as just your own, that'll free you up to be a lot more generous with your neighbors. Uh, mm. Also, you have to be okay with the fact that you have need. So for example, uh, I live in a neighborhood that has a lot of trees. And so it's like everybody owns their mini Lawn care company, <laughs> we've got enough gear. And my leaf blower, my backpack leaf blower died. Mm-mm. Yeah. And that was going to be problematic for me. It's a dark day. It is a dark day, right. First world problems you for sure. You are no
0: longer self-sufficient. That's right. That's, that's, that's a tough one. Yeah. Uh,
3: and so what my next door neighbor did was he had been using my leaf, uh, leaf blower. So he bought one and said, don't buy one for yourself. We're going to share this. Oh. That takes a great deal of commitment on my part to not go buy one. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, but what it, what it has done uh, for me is it takes the, the urgency, the tyranny of the urgent, you mm. know that phrase, uh, of having to get things done at a certain time. It takes that out of the mix too. Like I can just be more present with my family and be okay with leaves on my ground because he's using the, our, our leaf blower. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think my neighborhood in particular really has this because my next door neighbor who I share a leaf blower with, when we moved in, pulled me aside and said, if you live on the street, you're going to be a part of the street. And for him, that's what this means is that my stuff is your stuff and we all have expertise, but we all have need. Mm. And we're just going to be okay with that and be okay in each other's space, providing for one another's need. Mm
2: -hmm. I think in a lot of ways, you just gave us two more definitions of generosity. Yes. One is neighborliness. Yeah. And I think if you were to look for a worldview that has the firmest foundation for neighborliness, I think it would be Christianity. Uh, And one of the things that's interesting about that is, it is actually the context for essentially all of Jesus's teachings
3: Mm.
2: because these people didn't know anyone that wasn't their neighbor in a lot of ways. And then of course, beyond that, Jesus says, and also that person that you want to put an asterisk next to, that person's also your neighbor. So to bring it close to home rather than just far away, well, Jesus handles both. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he even, he tells us stories. He says, if your neighbor knocks on your door after midnight, because they have got a guest, you're going to have to get out of bed. You know, there's a neighborliness that has to come with reflecting my goodness to you as you reflect that goodness onto other people. Um, So I would say neighborliness, but also maybe what you were pointing to is just generosity is right understanding. Mm -hmm. You said it means understanding that not everything, this this is not my stuff. Mm -hmm. And the whole context for... um, God bringing the people of Israel along and then forming a new nation with the Christian churches. He's saying to them, what you have is what I gave you. Mm-hmm. I gave you this land. Ultimately, it's mine, but you're using it so that you can bless others. Mm-hmm. What's, what does he say? It's Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis. You're blessed to be a blessing, essentially, is how Pastor Jim Sapay used to say it. So we start to then realize, okay, everything that I've got... Is really just an opportunity Hmm. to be a good neighbor. Mm -hmm. Everything is like, I got this, you know, I got this old bike, and my kids outgrew it. Right? Yeah, there's a neighbor around here somewhere, right? You know, Mm -hmm. everything becomes just a raw material that we cultivate for the good of others and for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. We we make it grow into generosity instead of it just being something that's collecting dust or distracting me from, you know, the God of the universe. Now it becomes just a raw material that I can use to, to, to leverage, to bless others. So what's a real practical thing? Maybe take inventory and then just say like, okay, who can I bless with this thing? Mm-hmm. I got some fish and some loaves. Yeah. Well, who can I bless with it? You know. Mm-hmm. It might be maybe a practical place to start. What do I have that I can give?
1: That's the owner-manager concept out of uh, this week's study.
0: Generosity, um, we're coming up with all these definitions of generosity. Um, Generosity is one of those uh, transformative initiatives that we've talked about Mm -hmm. at Vista. Mm -hmm. Jesus never says simply, here's what's wrong, here's what's right. He always gives us some way of making that journey. And in most cases, it's the journey toward maturity or the journey away from a bad cycle or a journey Mm -hmm. um, to separate ourselves from sin. In this case, love of value and purpose and money that the world gives. How do we break away from greed? And he says, be generous. Like, so it's a mechanic. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. a mechanic that you, something you actually do. And then the question is, what is it? Then what does it look like? Well, the more generous you are, the more you're breaking that cycle, the more you're turning your heart toward God, you're trusting him. Um, another definition of generosity is to level the playing field. Hmm. Like I know it sounds a little bit like socialism, but someone else is hurting, someone else is low, someone else is impoverished. I am uh, up. I am up. I am, I have means. I have whatever. Mm-hmm. I have to hurt. I have to, generosity is going to hurt a little bit. It's mm-hmm. going there's going to be a cross involved. There's going to be a sacrifice. It's going to make me vulnerable. Actual generosity. Just standard giving doesn't make you vulnerable. Yeah, doesn't make you, it's not a sacrifice. People, some people give more than, some people give more than a hundred other people, but it's not a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Right. It, that's not, that's not going to change your heart. The generosity that Jesus puts in place to change your heart is one that makes you vulnerable. It makes you hurt. It changes your lifestyle. It causes, um, it, it might even make you feel less significant, less value. But what you're doing on the other side is loving. You're giving someone else value. Mm-hmm. You're making them, yeah. um, you're stopping their hurt. That, that's, true, that's true generosity. It's a, it's a mechanic, for breaking the cycle of greed. It's a mechanic for softening your heart. Yeah. It's a mechanic for leveling the playing field. It's, uh, the neighborly thing, the best neighborhood. He, he invited you in and said, we're all the same here. Right. And, and we do that by like sharing. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it makes us feel less self-sufficient, which again, makes us feel valuable. To have to share something, <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah, but then I can't do it when I wanna do it. Mm-hmm. And, right. and I can't have the one I want. I don't like the electric one, I want the gas <laughs> one. You know, But it's a mechanic. It's also, it also ends up being a sign of maturity that your heart is changing, that you are trusting God, that you have been deepened by your faith, that you're willing to be generous.
2: Yeah, we've we've used the phrase in conversation recently that, you know, what is it that Christ did for us other than make himself vulnerable so that we can be safe? And what do we do? We... Respond in kind. We make ourselves vulnerable so other people can be safe. And reaching that maturity, that sense of the fruits of the spirit, I think that maybe that's the most remarkable and exciting idea going on in their early portion of acts is well, look at all these people making themselves vulnerable so other people can be safe.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You have, you know a church in Jerusalem that is so often selling their land so that they can take care of the poor among them, that that becomes like their, their DNA. And I think, yes, there is real spiritual maturity attached to it. That's right. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. It's interesting. You, you brought up, um, socialism as a, you know, lest you compare it to this. What's interesting is, um, uh, one of the things about uh, the kingdom, and uh, I'll use the word shalom because it, it's the encapsulating word of that. Um, kingdom is, is a mutually flourishing relationship. It's not a haves and haves not have-nots. In a socialistic um, system, whatever flavor it takes, there is an economy where something is taken from some and given to others by a third party, a governance structure. That's not what our God does to us. He doesn't take from us for the sake of others. There is a mutual flourishing that happens because of the oneness that comes from being in the mm-hmm. kingdom. Um, uh, it just, uh, that's what uh, triggered that thought in my mind. But as, as I was listening to you talk about tangible examples, and I love the example that you just brought up, Justin, about um, the beauty of actually being a good neighbor by allowing your neighbor to be a good neighbor to you. Mm-hmm. And so you mutually participate in, in the goodness of neighborliness, mm-hmm. I like that word. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so much to unpack there. I mean, you, you rejected a very natural desire to establish your own security with your own resources, which is a way of worshiping mammon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Security you know? is just like power and control. Yeah. We talked about that. In, yeah. Instead, you submitted that, trusted God and allows your neighbor to be a neighbor to you. It's, that's a beautiful picture mm-hmm. of something. that's just so Simple. profound. But mm-hmm. um, time is a resource, right? And um, I have found in my life, it's easier to skip something that I'll get to in a minute and go right to, I'm gonna tangibly fix this whatever. Uh, what I'm realizing in my own life, the conviction I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit is I want you to take some of your time and actually pray for your neighbors. Mm. And what I'm learning out of this process is as I pray for my neighbors, um, I'm noticing I pray a little less about me. And I didn't even realize how often I come to God and it's about me. Mm-hmm. And in the process of praying for others, I'm realizing that's an, you're exercising a form of gener- generosity in that space. And I'm actually beginning to experience the freedom of giving that time, that resource mm-hmm. for the sake of others. And it brings glory to God in that space. And I know it will lead to those tangible things as well, because now my eyes mm, are yeah. a little more open. My heart's yeah. a little more open. Um, and, and so it, there's something where we, we know prayer is so important, but we don't, for, I don't know what it is. It's just something that we don't always engage with first. We don't end with that, but we know it's important. And so I just wanted to get your reaction about um, if someone's struggling with how to be generous how might you pray for your neighbor? How much you engage that space with a generous heart?
2: I think you said it um, in a lot of ways, but I uh, I just (laughs) think that's a really powerful point. Like we were talking earlier about Justin saying, like there's a realization that what I have is not my own. Mm -hmm. Well, that extends to time as well. And maybe that extends to my voice. I've heard Mike talk about being generous with his words, and that's really impactful to me. So I I start to really think holistically and and expansively about just how generous God has been to me. Mm. And I think about, okay, He's given well time and a voice, and He's and I start to think, okay, how can I use those things? And maybe the most beautiful thing He's given to me is access to His throne room. Yeah, maybe the most beautiful thing, the most even we might say powerful thing that I have is actually a relationship with him where I can speak to him. And some of the most beautiful moments in scripture are where someone used their voice to God on behalf of someone else. Um, Genesis chapter 18, Sodom and Gomorrah are messed up places and yet Abraham uses his voice to say, but what if there's only 10 righteous people there? And isn't that incredibly generous in that moment? Um, I think that's kind of what prayer is, using our voice in the most generous ways possible, entering the throne room of God on behalf of somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that mirrors Jesus pretty well because I've heard someone say that he's our intercessor, that he intercedes for us. Mm-hmm. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. It is, for sure.
0: I, um, we did a generosity series a couple years ago and this wonderful lady, it, it hit her just in a unique way. And she had also just gotten an inheritance um, from a relative, I think it was her father that passed away. And she spent, I think it was the better part of a year, giving away as much as she could. Hmm. And she didn't keep track of it like specifically, but she discovered in the end of a year, she had given away an entire... Um, year's salary of her own salary, whatever her salary, she had given that away. The reason I'm thinking about it is I still keep, I keep that letter close by because she said the most meaningful part of the whole exercise for her was that it taught her how to have a conversation with God. Mm-hmm. She was, when she decided to give generously, she ran into the same problem everybody runs into, which is where do I give mm-hmm. and how much do I give? Right. To whom do I give? And she said, it forced me to pray about every need that I saw. Mm. And I didn't give to every need. I didn't give the same to every need. But she said, what has stuck with me since that time, even whether I give or I don't give is not the issue. It's the conversation that I have with God about what to do with my stuff, which goes back to the Grishel teaching, which is, and Jesus' teaching, who says it's no longer about 10%. I want all of it, Hmm. which incidentally doesn't mean cash everything, liquidate everything today and (laughs) give it all today and now you're a hermit. It just means considering everything that you have. Like Rochelle says, it's not just about that percentage that you give. How are you using all of your money? How are you doing it? Work with God on it. How are you using it? That is, you want an enlightening experience. Pretend all your money is what it is, God's and use it accordingly and everything's going to be a lot different. Mm-hmm. It's a big
1: mirror too. Mm-hmm. Justin, did you have anything you wanted to add before we uh, wrap this up? No. Uh, like always, <laughs> tip of the
0: iceberg is how it feels to me. But um, Yeah, we didn't cover like 25% of all I of know, our I know, we notes. never do,
1: we never do. But hopefully this gets you started. Um, but uh, Mike, I'm going to give it back to you just okay. to close this out. And, uh
0: Okay. Yeah. I should have said that little story about...
2: (laughs) Great close.
0: I'll just read her last paragraph. When I don't give, when I pass someone up, I'm still called into conversation with God about it. We examine it together. It is because I'm tapped out. Is it because I'm tapped out from the guy who was here yesterday? Or is it because I'm judging? or not wanting to take the time or something else, do I still look the person in the eye and say hello, treating him or her as deserved with a smile? You know, that is the best thing about regular giving, the ability to be generous in other ways. The smile or simple acknowledgement I would never have had the guts to do before. But she's saying, because I give, because I give, now whatever I give feels okay to me. It's really, she learned so much of this. Sometimes people get all gnarly about what homeless do with the money. You know, do they drink it? Do they use it, whatever? She says, I say to myself now that those people are on my payroll <laughs> and their job for 10 minutes a day is to make me a better person. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> they make me examine myself and talk to God about it. That is worth hard, cold cash. <laughs> there, the whole thing is a heart issue. Yeah. The whole thing is a heart issue. Where is our heart? Who do we trust? Um, and money steals our devotion, our commitment to value and significance and power. And Jesus... There's really only one way to break it. You got to be vulnerable and trust me. And that means being generous Mm -hmm. beyond what you would normally do. It's the only way to break it. And you got to keep remembering the first thing we talked about. We're blind to the powerful, overpowering impact of money and possessions and greed in our life. It is probably killing us in ways we don't know the only way out is to start giving away and trusting god
3: so we end yeah, up you shouldn't doubt that
2: yeah, that's right <laughs> that's a good one. we end up we say like we think money we 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 end ultimately sort of say money is the ends it's the goal yeah. Yes. But rather, money is only ever a means it's just a for us. It should only be a means mm-hmm. to bless others. Mm-hmm. And we, when we think of money as an end, what we do is we treat God as a means when he is supposed to be the end. We say, okay, I'm going to do the Christian thing because that way I get that money part. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I can say it succinctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, there might be something off about it.
1: So this is a topic that's worthy of many words mm-hmm. yeah so i wouldn't i wouldn't feel insecure about that at all